Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Alan Besling. Alan has over 30 years' experience in the hiring rental industry and started off in 1986 with MacBro Rental, eventually became the Kennards Hire CEO, and now runs his own rental business called Hire Express, which focuses on renting small building tools all the way up to large construction equipment. Alan, thank you for coming on the show today. To kick things off, can you just talk about how you got into the hiring rental industry? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. So I started this a while back, uh, back in January 1986, uh, with one of the early pioneers in hire, Barry McDonald of MacBro Rental. At the time, I had, oh, I think it was about seven jobs concurrently. I was selling everything from knitting wool, wrapping paper, water beads, etc. Um, I was mates with Barry's daughters. They actually went to school with the oldest one. And he just imported a lot of secondhand access equipment from Hertz in the US, uh, a whole heap of Fabtech equipment. Uh, he needed someone to push into the market and um, he said, hey, do you want a job? And I haven't looked back, mate. I've been in the industry since then. Haven't looked back since. I think that's a, a statement I hear from a lot of people in the rental industry. So just to go down history lane a little bit, what were some of the jobs that you actually did before rental? Yeah, well, as I said, I was selling um, haberdashery, I was selling uh, knitting wool, um, which is part of the haberdashery, I was selling wrapping paper, um, greeting cards, I was selling uh, Thursday nights, Saturdays and Sundays, I was selling water beds, uh, I was working uh, part-time at a caravan park, my, my parents uh, at the time owned a, owned a caravan park, so I was working part-time there, um, so yeah, I was, I was pretty busy. So you obviously had like a lot of different jobs that you were doing when you were younger and you know, you're given the opportunity to join the rental industry. Like what, what was it about it that made you stick to it? Yeah, well, I mean, I fell into it in that regard, but to stick to it, I think it's the pragmatism of the industry. It's, a, it's an interesting industry. I think, I think the industry lacks glamour and I think that's a, that's a positive. I think it's a good thing. The, the people that are in it are very practical um, they, I mean, one minute they're, you know, they're doing what they need to do with, with toilets and earth moving equipment. And the next, you know, they're dealing with customers and they're, you know, um, uh, you know, lo- looking after a raft of product, a raft of customers in a range of, uh, range of different atmospheres and environments. So I think that's the enticing piece in the, of the, uh, the rental industry. Yeah, I like that. And I agree with that comment. As well, I, I think just in general, like all the people I've spoken to, like there's so many different rental companies out there, and they they all know each other somehow, or they've been connected, or they've moved around, and they're they're, they're very friendly and they're willing to help each other out. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. It is it is very collegiate? I think um, I think it's, you have to. It's an, it's an industry where you'll never have enough capital to satisfy all the demand, uh, and therefore you you. Your competitors are often also customers and suppliers. Yep, you got to build those relationships with the competitors if you do want to supply your customers with what they potentially want. Like if they want a certain type of boom and you don't have it available, you're going to have to have relationships with other rental businesses to cross-hire it or re-rent it to supply that as well. <laughs> yeah, I asked my wife about that. I've got her, uh, her land crews are going out on hire for a week tomorrow. And uh, she's not too happy about that, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, wow, what's what's the backstory there? That's that's an interesting scenario. 
Uh, we've, we've got it on the website, so it's available for hire. And uh, we had an inquiry, and yeah, we've got the, got the rental. I've got uh, my youths going out tomorrow as well for another hire. So, yeah, basically, if it's, if it's available, it's, uh, it's for rent. That's so good. <laughs> Anyone listening, please go to hireexpress.com.au and try and rent Owl's Land Cruiser. <laughs> so, um, so talk me through some of the other companies you've worked at. Uh, I haven't worked with too many, actually. I, um, the company I started with, Macbro Rental, uh, they were acquired by GKN, which is a, a, a large um, PLC, British PLC. I think they had about 20,000 employees at the time and they, they decided to get into hire. They're in Australia and scaffold. Uh, and then that business in due course was acquired by, by both Kennards and National Hire. Uh, and I went with the Kennards side. So I really haven't worked for too many, too many different businesses. Okay, and then obviously now you've got Hire Express, which is your own company, which is growing. It's got a great brand. You guys won the rental company of the year below five million with the Hire and Rental Association, which is amazing. But talk me through like how that happened. Like, why did you start your own company, and what were some of the challenges that you went through? Yeah, thanks, Mike. So I started Hire Express about three years ago, three and a half years ago, uh, and that was after a, a long stint at Kennards. And I mean, running running a, a business, a great business like Kennards is, is really enjoyable, but it wasn't as satisfying as, as building a business. I, I had the good fortune to uh, to go on a joint venture with Kennards back in 2003 in, uh, in Kennards Lift and Shift. Um, we grew that to a national footprint and um, that was a very successful business. And that was really what I enjoyed doing the most. So I looked at my time and thought, look, that's what I want to do. I want to build build businesses and build legacies, uh, and hence Hire Express. Uh, as I said, we've been going three and a half years now, and and so far so good. We've, we've got an ambition to keep growing and and doing a few things differently, uh, and that's that's certainly challenging. And you know, build, building a team, building a, a customer base, building processes, building systems. Um, that's, a, that's a lot of fun. It's very, very engaging. And then look, there's a lot of new players in the market. So I think it'd be really good just to understand a little bit about of the, the, the real challenges that you faced in the early days. And because, uh, yeah, that's what I really want to try and get out of this podcast, like people to understand what other people have gone through with their experiences. So like, what, were you, what would you say when you first started the business was like probably the biggest challenge? Well, I think the biggest is probably the, um, the, the, you know, the amount of equity you sweat early on. Um, so you've invest, invested a lot of money uh, uh, in a venture with significant fixed costs and no revenue. So early days, you really are forking out a lot of money. Uh, and it's that, it's that period where you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about how the business will, will perform. Um, that was interesting. There was a lot of a lot of pressure at, at that point. It's not until you sort of get through that and start generating cash that uh, that you get a bit more comfort. But then you know we're at a point now where we want to shake it up again and uh, and get out of that comfort zone and you know do do something new and and exciting as well. Not new in terms of system, but just keep keep progressing the business. Mm, yeah, I can imagine having those fixed costs with the finance payments against the assets and not knowing if you're going to put it out on rent just the, the pressure that puts on on you and your family and the business so it's that's definitely a big challenge and so then what about like obviously 
in your previous role, you were very much an ex- you, you were the an executive for a long time and in various different roles, and then you went down to actually being like the salesperson, being the operations manager, being the delivery guy, probably like doing everything basically, and then building the team up. Like, was there a challenge on making that switch as well? In the pre- in my previous role, I wasn't very. I mean, I was customer centric, but I didn't know many of the customers. It was a very transactional business, so I didn't get to know that many of the customers. Uh, whereas obviously now I'm in amongst it. And I guess that's that's one of the challenges, you talk about challenges in starting a new business, is the amount of time you're working in the business versus on the business. Um, you know, you do get caught up in the in the reactionary operational elements uh, and not the strategic pieces. So that's been interesting too. You know, doing that for periods is fine, but then you've got to really force yourself out and, and work on the business. And that's been a, a significant challenge as well. I think that's a, a challenge that every owner gets put in working in the business rather than on the business. So then talking about working on the business, you obviously needed to employ people to be working in the business. And I've been out to your site a few times and I, I, it's a lot of young people are out there. I can see that you've really invested in the younger generation to sort of help build that up. Talk me through some of that. Yeah, so we've, we've built a good team. It's a stable team. Um, we've got another, another young, young gentleman joining us in about two weeks. So uh, ideally, I try and get younger people in um, and, you know, and try and teach them. I guess that goes towards culture. I, I find that's easier to, um, you know, push, push a culture uh, and embed a culture um, rather than have someone that's got a lot of, a lot of cultural baggage already. Um, that's not to say there's not benefit in gaining some of that because you do get skill set, but typically our team is, is fairly young. Uh, and I guess, you know, we go through the standard avenues of, uh, of recruitment and then just try and, uh, try and retain them through keeping them engaged. That's, that's nice to hear. Well, as I said, I've been out there a few times and I've seen the people and they are very friendly and very eager to sort of engage and, and talk through things and, and whatnot. So it's, uh, you're obviously doing something right there. You're breeding the right culture and you're, you're sort of in keeping them engaged in the business. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I appreciate the, the acknowledgement there. Um, yeah, look, it's, it is about culture. Um, you know, I think that's been pushed pretty hard in, um, over the years, but it, it really is first and foremost. If you can get them, uh, you know, it's that discretionary effort from your, your people. If your people are engaged, you know, they don't see it as hard work and uh, and they just make it happen. And, you know, they just say yes to every opportunity rather than no because it's going to create work. I like that. That's a really good mentality to have, to be open and excited about doing more work because in the end it's going to make them stronger and, and understand more and just gain that, that life experience as well as the work experience. So 30 years... Talk to me about how the industry's changed over time. Yes, um, it has changed a lot. It's a, the industry is a lot more professional now, uh, but I think the biggest changes have been in probably asset compliance, uh, probably the age of the fleets, uh, the fleet compositions, and uh, and probably around the employees themselves, around the employee capabilities. So, I mean, with asset compliance, it's such a big part of what we do now. It impacts the full supply chain. Um, so when we, from when we pre-deliver a machine, you know, it's got to have the quackers and the cameras and the, you know, the handbrake alarms and whatever else. Um, the way we record, our, our, you know, we record the, the maintenance elements, 
um, the way they're updated and retained. Um, you know, it's a big piece that wasn't there historically that, that is, uh, is really, look, it is an encumbrance on the business, but it's also, I think it's also a benefit to hire because it gets too hard for our, our customers to do it on their own fleet. So therefore they look to us as, um, as doing that for them. So it's sort of subcontracting that one element that they don't have to worry about. So it's actually, it's actually a good thing for our, our industry in that regard. Um, the other piece is around um, the, 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 the people capability. Um, we've seen in the past, we used to employ a lot of mechanics and unfortunately mechanics aren't always necessarily good customer people. Uh, whereas now we'll, we'll employ um, people with different skill sets and people with a strong customer centricity so that they can, they can take whatever skills they do have and, and take our offer. Um, to the customer in a lot, lot more professional manner. Um, that's certainly a big thing. The asset fleet age, um, you, I remember it was, it was all about secondhand equipment when I first started. It was actually around having the, the, the equipment go around the block one more time and making money out of secondhand equipment. But again, that brought on processes where you had to have mechanics Whereas now we're certainly trying to engineer the, the mechanical element out of the business to an extent. Um, so if we have a, a fairly new fleet, we can rely on our, our um, suppliers as partners to, you know, to make sure that fleet is up to date because it's new equipment. So a lot of it's covered under warranty. And the customers actually treat the equipment better because it, it is newer and you don't get the, uh, the typical, you know, the, the, the inherent breakdowns of an old fleet. Uh, I guess the, the other one was around fleet composition. So the big change for me, we, and I guess this is the Bunnings effect, um, if I can call it that, where people don't, don't hire small equipment now. Uh, they buy it outright just because of the price. Um, you know, historically, we'd have lots of tarps, lots of lawnmowers, lots of power tools, lots of pressure washers. Um, you know, we used to do a lot of rentals on those, those items, but not anymore. You know, people just go out and, and typically buy it for, uh, for, the, for their, their personal use. So that, that has changed significantly too. They're probably the, the biggest changes that I, I can think of. With the new fleet side of things, I think the, the big change that's also needed to occur over the, the 2010, however long you want to say it, is the relationship between the rental businesses and also the OEMs, so the suppliers of the equipment. That relationship is needed to improve. They've needed to ensure they can provide the latest technology or maintain warranty or whatever it might be to ensure that you can obviously supply that equipment and provide that service to your customer as well. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point. They, it, with, it is a partnership. It is a, a supplier arrangement. Unlike a, uh, you know, it's not a transactional, simply a transactional base because we keep having the customers come back to us uh, and therefore we get a lot of feedback on the, on the asset. Um, and therefore we can give that to the, the supplier and work with them to make a better product. We've done that a number of times with, with um, suppliers over the years. So it, it has been beneficial. And then, so talk me through some of the things that you've learned about just doing business or running a company just in general that you sort of wish you knew in the earlier days potentially. Yeah, um, I've learned a few things from a, a few people, which has been good. Um, I guess the big one is around discounts and pricing. 
have, they've got an almost direct correlation to the bottom line. So it's interesting because it's a fixed cost business, any changes you make on the higher rates, right, either positive or negative, uh, will pretty much drop through to the bottom line. And, you know, early on, I wasn't as conscious of that. And once you understand that correlation and that dynamic, it makes a big difference to your thinking on, on pricing, you know, on, on price and utilisation. So that's, that's probably singly, that's probably that's the biggest lesson I've, uh, I've learned over the years. Yeah, discounting is a tough one. I think a lot of people still don't understand the ramifications of discounting in the long term. They think if it's zero dollars, then it's better to get it out for a lower rate. I know there's companies, we won't name who they are, but there's companies out there that would often put scissors out for lower than the actual repayments on their finance agreements just to win the deal or steal the customer or just have it out there basically. So how do you overcome that when you do get that feedback from your customers around the discounting? Uh, sometimes you don't. I mean, you, you really do your best to push, you know, you push your, your benefits um, and, you know, what, what's your um, USPs, you know, what's your unique selling proposition and your differentiators. So you, you certainly push those uh, to the, you know, the full extent of what, you, what you're capable of doing. Uh, but then sometimes it doesn't hurt to walk away from um, some business. You know, so if, if the business is not profitable and it's not strategic, uh, why do it? So sometimes you just walk away from that. Other times, you know, you might make a call that's different, but you might make it a, a short-term arrangement and then next, next time there's, business, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's money in it. So you've got to make those calls and you've got to train your people that they've got that capability to make um, informed business decisions too. Yeah, I always remember when I first joined the rental industry, I was down in Melbourne with Tim Nuttall from Axis Hire, who's one of the veterans, and he was drawing on a whiteboard explaining discounting to me. And the, the bottom line was, if you succumb to that, like you're just ruining the industry. Like it is, it's just, it's going to ruin everyone else. It's good. There needs to be a, a point where it stops. And also... That customer, if they accept that discount, your competitor will never be able to provide the level of service that the customer is expecting from that. So it might be one higher, it might be two higher, it might be five, but eventually that customer will come back because they want the level of service that you're providing with your price. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fair point. Look, if someone's got to say no eventually, otherwise it's a, it's a downward spiral, um, and at a, at a point it becomes unprofitable, and I'm not sure everyone knows, you know, what, what that what that line is. Um, but once you've done those metrics, you soon realise you can't do it for a certain price. And you know, if you if you're going to go broke, you may as well sit on the beach. And then you obviously mentioned earlier that you learnt a lot of things from other people in the industry over time. So who were some people that played a big influence in maybe mentoring you or providing guidance? Yeah, there's been a lot, which is, you know, I'm very grateful to all of them. Um, I guess the, the most influential would be uh, Peter Lankin. Um, so Pete, Pete and I actually worked together for about 30 years. So when he came on board at MacBro, I was already working there and then we worked fairly close for a number of years after that. Um, I mean, he's been instrumental in making a lot of changes in the, 
in the hire industry, you know, the Australian hire industry. He basically built Kennards um, uh, when he came on board in, uh, in 94. It was a, a different business. Um, so Pete's, Pete's been extremely influential in that. And, uh, you know, his, his work on the, the Global Rental Alliance and other elements, you know, he's had a lot, a lot of influence in the industry. Uh, for me personally, I guess it's, you know, whilst he hasn't been a, a great coach, he's been a great mentor because, you know, you learn a lot from him just through osmosis, just hanging around him and uh, how he does things. And, you know, it was all, you know, win-lose at the start. It was quite, you know, I was quite, um, I would play to, to, to win, uh, whereas Pete is, you know, a little bit more subtle and it's, it's got to be win-win. And even those simple lessons, they have a, a big impact. Yeah, I think... Peter Lankin's played a positive influence on a lot of people in the industry, like even to the to the level of Andy Kennard, like you, you can't speak highly enough of him. And yeah, it's it's really good to have people like that in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. No, and and look, he doesn't do it um, overtly. Um, I mean, he he really does it. Um, you do pick it up if. If you listen, you'll you'll pick it up through osmosis and just some of the lessons over the, over the years. So uh, yeah, I think and I think that's probably the best way to learn. You know, you know, not everything needs to be handed to you in a in a book or a, a class format. There's uh, there's many ways to learn. Mm, yeah, I, you met you mentioned like win loss prior and then sort of becoming more aware or, or learning more about how to run a business or how to operate as an employee or whatever it might be. But I think a lot of people, when they first start out, like they're, they're always like rushing to get the next step or they they want the next deal. They want the next thing, like taking their time to actually understand more about themselves and about the industry and, and, and not rushing as much. Yeah, I'm not sure there's, I mean, there's discussions around the millennials and how they expect it to be handed them on a platter. I personally haven't, you know, I personally don't come across that, but I guess that's a probably a function of who you employ and, um, you know, how, how you are, how you treat them, um, I, I guess. Um, so, but I guess everyone would like, a, you know, the, the, the roadmap for dummies. It's always, always beneficial, but yeah, the, the best way is to, Try something, put it into practice yourself. After you've after you've learned something, try it, um, see how it see how it works for you, uh, and then take it to the next step if you can. Just constant improvement is key. Yeah, and that, and that sort of leads into my next question, which is, how do you define success, and what was potentially a defining moment for you? Yeah, I, I guess yeah, that's difficult. Success. I mean, there's business success and there's personal success, and I don't think you can have business success without personal success. Um, uh, you know, not not long term. Uh, I think it's look. I guess I'd put it in, in a way that you're only here for a short time, right? So you may as well make the place a better place than when you started. And I found if you apply that broad philosophy you know whether it is uh, you know personal or workplace you can't go too far wrong and you apply it holistically and also in you know in a micro perspective as well and uh and you, you can't go too far wrong if you you apply that i'm not sure there was a defining moment for me with success um i think it's a gradual thing uh you know if you're looking for the 
you know, always looking for the icing on the cake. I think you'll just see the icing. Um, I think you've got to look, look at the whole piece. <laughs> That's funny. If you're always looking for the icing on the cake, you will only see the icing. I just made it up. I'm not sure it's a good metaphor, but it's, it's <laughs> sort of yeah, come to mind. Well, it's documented now and it's your quote, so we'll uh, we'll go with it. So, so talk to me about how important you think or how involved potentially you are with the, the Hiram Rental Association or any association, really. Yeah, I think they're very important. I, I said earlier about um, suppliers and competitors being... Uh, you know, a, a piece of the industry and a piece of your business. And, you know, I think those those industry events are, are very worthwhile, not just from, you know, a, a um, structured learning environment, but also the, the nocturnal working and the, uh, you know, just getting to, to see people you haven't seen for a while. I've got some really good friends over the years in the industry. Uh, and that's key, you know, so I can ring someone in a, uh, you know, if we've got an air conditioning issue, an event issue, you know, an access issue, I, I can ring people and uh, and get, you know, expert advice and it's honest advice and it's people that have that have actually been there and done it um, and people that I trust. Uh, and that that's, pretty, that's very key. Yeah, I think that the networking side is, is so important. It's It provides so many avenues for for people to learn and to build relationships and stuff like that, that it's, uh, it, for me, it's, it's the critical part as well. Yeah, look, the networking elements, first and foremost, I've been fortunate too that I've been on, you know, I've had the opportunities to be able to travel overseas. You actually get um, really good perspectives from other countries. You know, they look at it differently and their industries are slightly different. And those nuances, if you, if you look at, you know, the, 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 the differences, you can actually choose to apply them to your own business or even choose to ignore them, you know, you, but you, you make a conscious decision and just say, look, no, that's not the, not the strategic path that we want to head. Um, but at least you're thinking of the, the opportunities and, and looking at the differences. And that's, that's, been, um, that's been really fortunate too. I've been very fortunate in that regard. Okay, so do you try and travel when you could travel uh, overseas to a lot of the conventions as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to get across to an event at least once a year. Um, and I do mix it up. Um, I mean, I went a lot of years without going back to America. Um, uh, you know, they have certainly progressed. Like they were, they were, I thought they were at the forefront for a while and then they, I think they fell behind a little bit. And now there's certainly, there's some brilliant companies over there now doing some great things. Um, Europe has been really beneficial for us. We had uh, certainly had some good ins with some, some brilliant companies like Bowles and, and the like, um, and HSS and Speedy. Um, so we've had the fortune of getting to see those businesses, you know, up close uh, and getting a getting a good understanding of you know what what you know some of the things we could be doing. Uh, as I said before, you, know, you don't have to, but just just makes you think differently, and that's important. Yeah, constantly learning from others and adapting and and being ahead of the curve, basically. Like you want to be innovative and, and, and make sure that you become stale. And then so talking about adaptive, obviously COVID's playing a, a bit of a part in, in how businesses are running. Like have, has it had a big impact on you today? Uh, look, it hasn't with the way we've been engaging in, with customers dramatically. You know, obviously we've put in place a few processes for um 
for asset maintenance uh, and I guess some of the face-to-face -face elements of our customer interaction, but largely it hasn't from that perspective. I guess, you know, it has from our, our team environment. I mean, early on we took, we took um, processes to ensure, you know, that we'd have business continuity um, and, you know, that, that wasn't easy. Um, so, but you have, you have to do that. Um, we've been fortunate to try files that, you know, we haven't had the, the massive impact um, that it has elsewhere. Uh, look, it has had a, a, an impact on business, but I still think, you know, we've, we've been quite relatively fortunate um, in, in both the business impact and the, and the health impacts to date. Well, Al, that about wraps up that discussion. I do really appreciate you coming on the Rental Journal podcast. And, and look, I, I do think that you are one of the leaders when it comes to being around the block, understanding business and, and really being able to play a big influence in the industry. Oh, thank you, Mark. And thank you for those kind words. And yeah, it was uh, certainly a pleasure. Cheers, mate. Please share, follow the Rental Journal podcast. And I hope everyone can tune in to the next episode. Bye.